10. Hebrews chapter 10. We sang, I sing the mighty power of God. And um, it mentioned in that, the moon shines bright at His command. Have you seen the full moon the last, I think yesterday technically it was full, but incredible. I mean, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, God's handiwork, and He spoke, and it came into being. What a, what a great God, and our lessons tonight will, will talk about that in further detail. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin reading in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We want to look at this passage this morning and we're, we're going to... Divided up into two different sections here. So this is the first preaching section. Then we'll sing a couple songs and get the second half. The, the guy's in the sound room. So are you having an intermission? I said, yep. Pop and popcorn. And they said, oh boy. No, we're not. All right. The intermission will be singing songs. But um, I've, I've always um, enjoyed... Cutting firewood. And cutting down a tree, I, I'm always grateful when the tree is safely down 
and I'm still in one piece, and the saw isn't stuck in something, and the, the bar isn't bent, and so on. But I'll spend time looking at a tree from every angle. Which way is this thing leaning? And, and trying to figure out, because for me, the way the tree's leaning is the way it's going to go. Now, we had in our church in Montana a guy that could make a tree go any way he wanted it to go. He called it walking the tree around. And admittedly, most all the trees we were cutting out there were lodgepole pines. They weren't hardwood trees with limbs going clear out here. But it was incredible. And, and seeing him do that... He'd, he'd get that chainsaw and he'd have it all, and, and he just moved the chainsaw. And it, it was like he was walking that tree and put it right down where he wanted to put it. Me, I go with gravity and the way it's leaning, and, um, and I'm happy that, that I get it down. And when it's on the ground, then I love cutting it up. But the way we're leaning as a tree, is the way that we're going to fall. In the Christian life, the way you are leaning is the way you are going to go when the pressure comes on you. And this letter was written to Hebrew believers that were facing had already experienced severe persecution. And the book of Hebrews is concerned which way the believers were going to go when they were under pressure. And we've already seen some will come to know all about Jesus Christ. They will acknowledge Him that that is true. They know all the facts about Him. They acknowledge, yeah, I believe that's true. But they never commit to Him. In fact, they, they say, no, I'm not going to believe that. And we've already looked at, they, they bear the condemnation of God. They are under the judgment of God. Some will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they will acknowledge it and, and they will make a commitment and they get weary in the warfare, in the battle of the Christian life and they draw back to the displeasure of God. Some come to the knowledge of Christ, they acknowledge it as true, they commit themselves to it, they endure through the difficulties of life, and they will reap eternal rewards. This morning, we want to primarily look at the second group, the group that um, he begins in verse 32, specifically dealing with it. These are a group that that came to the knowledge, acknowledged it, and made a commitment and 
it seemed like their commitment was genuine and real, and and in many cases it was, and perhaps in some cases it wasn't. But this is a this is an issue that is addressed many times throughout Scripture. In the parable of the seed and the sower, this issue is addressed. There's those that hear the word and just reject it. There's those that hear the word and it and they respond positively for a moment, a short time, the Bible says, and and then pretty soon they go away from it. There's a third group that it says they receive the word and start going with it, and then the cares and the pleasures and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out, and it has no fruit because it had no root. And then there are those that, as we mentioned, fall into the category. They hear the Word, they commit to it, they endure, continue with the Lord, and they will reap eternal rewards. We read about in Revelation chapter 2. He said to the church at Ephesus, You've left your first love, meaning you've drawn back. You used to be here, but you've drawn back. In Luke chapter 9, he says, That no man should put his hand to the plow. That any man that puts his hand to the plow and looking back, drawing back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. So, this group of people from this passage are individuals that committed to Christ. And, as you notice in the Scripture, they had a strong testimony. In verse 32, Recall the former days in which you were illuminated. So they came to the knowledge. You endured great struggle of sufferings. Part of it was while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulation. You personally endured tribulation, persecution, and part of it was because you cared for those that were being persecuted. So when they cared for others being persecuted, as in this case, the writer of of Hebrews said, you visited me in my chains and in my bonds. They came. I personally believe it's the Apostle Paul, but won't make an issue out of it. They came to visit him. They were identified. Oh, you're one of those nuts. You're one of those that don't bow down to Caesar or whatever. You're one of those Christians, which was a term of reproach, which was a term of insult and mocking. And these people accepted the insult, accepted the persecution, whether directly to them or because they supported others. They visited and supported those that were in prison for their faith. And then it says in verse 34, And you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods 
knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. They actually felt joy over watching their property because of being a Christian, watching their property be confiscated since they took comfort in the fact that their true treasures were in heaven. I read that and I think, whoa. Those people were beyond anything I've ever experienced. To see, to see your properties confiscated and taken away, that isn't just, that isn't right. But they said, if this is for the cause of Christ, we're willing to do it. So they had a very, very strong testimony. And... and Actions such as this were the product of a true faith. But the persecutions and the injustices that they endured raised up strong temptations in their lives to forget what they've learned about Christ and the realities of eternity and to face a temptation of maybe drawing back. And the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of God, said, I'm coming along and I'm, I want to encourage you. Don't draw back. There are those that draw back, have rejected Christ unto perdition. He says, he's assuming they're genuine in the faith. He says, I don't want you to draw back to the displeasure of God. This aspect of drawing back is a process that doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that is often unrecognizable. It's a process that there's a lot of of area that um, you can't immediately point a finger to and, and say, I guess I've drawn back. But if we take time to examine, it does us well to look at the process that Satan is always trying to get all of us in the faith to draw back. And in looking at the process of drawing back, I want us to look at, at six different aspects of the process of drawing back. He wrote this, please do not draw back. You have need of, of patience, endurance. You will receive the word. He was encouraging them, do not draw back. The process of drawing back, first of all, begins with the conviction of the Spirit. So you think, how is that drawing back? The Spirit of God works in our life and He asks us to do something. He asks us to respond. He gives us instructions. He's guiding us into truth. And that is foundational in the Christian life. The moment you got saved... The Spirit of God took up residence in you, and He starts working in our life, shaping us 
to the image of Christ. And he said, oh, this really doesn't look like Christ, so let's not do... This really does look like Christ, so let's put that on. In many, many, many different ways and in small, what we might consider insignificant ways, but any promptings of God's Spirit is never insignificant. So drawing away starts with that, but then the next step, when, when the Spirit of God has convicted us, we refuse to obey the Spirit. And maybe, maybe refuse is a strong term, but that's really what we're doing. We can rationalize it, well, not yet, maybe a little later, uh, I'll do it my own way or whatever. But the bottom line, we are not obeying the Spirit. Whatever the Spirit of God has convicted us to do. Whatever He's shown us to do. And that immediately starts a drawing away. So if, if, if the Spirit says, I want to lead you here, and we say, no, literally, we are drawing back. And most of us don't say, no, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to do that. Because that'd be too brazen. We just ignore it. You've all seen it as a kid or as a parent. A parent tells a kid to do something and they act like they didn't hear you. And they just go running out the door. You, you know if you had whispered, hey, do you want a cookie? They would have heard it. You know they heard you, but they ignored you. And, and it wasn't they, they turned around and said, I am not coming back. They weren't that brazen, and we're not normally that brazen with the Holy Spirit. But we just ignore Him. And without getting into it, it grieves the Spirit, quenches the Spirit, but it starts a process of drawing back that the book of Hebrews is warning us about. Then next in that process is a loss of joy. One of the first effects of disobedience to God is that we lose our joy in Christ. And that is a bad place to be. That we, we have a joyless Christianity. We may still be doing all the things of a Christian. We still may be going through the motions, but we don't have joy. Um, we... We stop singing, maybe not actually not singing, but it's just kind of going through it. That it doesn't, there is no joy there. We read the Bible because we're supposed to, but there is no joy. 
It's like the Christian life just becomes mundane. And it, and it started when, in whatever area, we said no. And back to the illustration, the kid that runs out the door and acts like he doesn't, doesn't hear is not soon coming back in just to spend time with mom or dad, whoever told them that. They're, they're on to different things. Why? There's no joy in that relationship with that obedience. And, and I believe there is a major epidemic of joylessness among we as Christians. I mean, if you were to ask Jason, and he's too kind to tell you the truth in this, but if you were to ask him, can you tell people that, that really are singing and thinking of the words and have joy in it? He'd, he'd say, yeah. If you were to ask, do I? He'd say, well, you better talk to pastor about that. No. He's wise enough to not answer that. But, but it... It really is a misrepresentation of God when we don't have joy. I mean, and I don't want to stay on this too long, but at any rate, enough said, all right? Then we draw back, we lose the joy in our relationship with God, and then we become distracted. We're, we're pursuing other pleasures. We, we become distracted with other things that keep us off what the Spirit has asked us to do. It can be pleasure. It can be anything. Greed, success, bitterness. We get distracted with how that person treated us. And the loss of joy in our relationship with God, ends up affecting other areas of our life. And whatever we're distracted with becomes an idol. We love it more than we love God. It is hard for Satan to tempt a believer with the empty pleasures of this world when that believer is filled with the joy of God. When that believer is walking in the Spirit and seeking to obey the Spirit of God, it is, it is hard to tempt that believer with the trivial, trivial things of this life. And they may be great pleasures, but when we start drawing back, we lose joy... It's not the same hunger for the Word. It's not the same joy. And we, we start substituting different things. Boy, we, we, we have a joy in, in this hobby. We have a joy in this. We have a joy in... And it's all very fleeting and vain. 
So refuse to obey the Spirit, a loss of joy, distracted in many different ways. And then we become derelict of duties. We abandon or leave personal responsibilities in our walk with God. Drawing back from responsibilities, drawing back from things that were in our lives that were producing growth, drawing back from people, from loving people, drawing back from disciplines that at one time were, were very beneficial in our lives. Derelict of duties. And then there comes a desertion that, that attempting is to just forget the whole thing. The decades that I've been in the ministry, I, I can't tell you how many times I have seen people go through this process. And the part from number two to number six is all drawing back. And we may not desert and bail on God, the number six, but we don't have joy in the Christian life. We... We've been distracted by other things. We're stepping back from some of the things we do. I, like I said, I can't tell you how many times. I, I, don't, I don't keep, and I'm going to say this, and I hope it's not taken wrong, I don't keep attendance, but when I start seeing someone that used to attend Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, and prayer meeting, and first one to go is usually prayer meeting, and it doesn't happen rapidly, but then uh, they're not hitting as much to the Sunday night Bible studies, and then over time... It's like, I don't like where this is going. I, I often will ask people, how are you doing? It seems like you're drawing back. Oh, no, I've just been busy and we've been sick and blah, blah, blah. I, I could write a book on the excuses given. I see people that at one time, man, oh, man, they were there, they were hungry, they were writing down. And I'm not saying write down because I'm saying it, but their whole attitude was, I can't get enough of this. Then pretty soon, yeah, pretty soon. And the thing is, you can be seated here today and have been drawing back 
Well, I'm, I'm at every service. You may be at every service, but you drew back when the Spirit of God... I have, I have seen people share with me, man, God really convicted me that I need to be doing this. And they never start doing it. And you can, like I said, decades of observing this and centuries of being warned about it in the Bible, once we say no and and purposely, no, I'm not going to do it, we start on a path. And we might have enough sense to say, I'm not going to go to number six and desert the whole ball of wax, because that really looked bad. But, We're here, but we're not really here. And and in the book of Hebrews, he says, Don't you be one of those that draws back to the displeasure of God. It It is so important for us to continually be on the guard. Our hearts are prone... To draw back. That's our old nature. It's prone to draw back. And in understanding that, we need to have a commitment that we are going to pursue, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to look at our own life and think, God, where am I prone to draw back? I'm going to ask Jason if he'll come and lead us in the song, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. I've been distracted. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him. I will run so glad and free. Why? Because Jesus... That's all it's about. See, we lose our first love and it's just like, Pastor was wound up today. You better get wound up if you love Jesus. I mean, it's all that matters. And we need to guard our hearts about drawing away from Him. He'll, he'll lead us in a couple of stanzas of, of, of that song. I am resolved no longer to linger Charmed by the world's delight Things that are higher, things that are nobler These have allured my sight I will hasten to Him Hasten so glad and free Jesus, greatest, highest I will come to Thee Verse number 3 I am resolved to follow the Savior Faithful and true each day Heed what He saith, do what He willeth He is the living way 
says, I will come to thee. Third verse, I am resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith. The first thing, the Spirit's conviction. I'm going to listen to what he say, says, and I'm going to do his will. He is the living way. I will hasten to him. And then turn to 397. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. I'm drawing closer and closer to God. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And then we'll sing the third verse on this one too. I want to live above the world's, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. Ah, it doesn't pay. Give up. Draw back. It's not worth it. For faith has caught the joyful sound of the song of saints on higher ground. Faith has caught the joyful sound. I don't know, I guess I better do it. It's what a good Christian does. Lord, I want higher ground. I want closer to you. I want to draw closer to you, not draw back. Think as we sing. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Verse number three. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I've found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. So, the process of drawing back is something we continually need to guard. So, what's the cure? Of, the, of drawing back. What do we do when we realize, I have drawn back? And that is to the displeasure of God. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works. Very similar to the Hebrews 10. I know your works and you've done all these great things. But he said, I have something against you. You've left your first love. And in that, 
he said, remember from whence you have fallen. So the first thing in the cure is we need to go back and remember. One, we need to remember the character of God. How many times, if, if we're asked, what are the character attributes of God? What are some of those that we draw a blank? It's not important that we name them. What's important is that we say, this is who my God is and I can trust Him. On a, on a regular basis, I would say four to five times a week, in my morning time, I go over <clears throat> t- um, Jim Berg's ten timeless principles or truths about God. <clears throat> and I, I do this to remind me who my Savior is. It's God and, and all of these. God is always wise, always. God is always trustworthy. God is always the same. God is always in control. I'm reminding myself of these. I need that every day. <clears throat> God is present with me. God is full of grace. God loves me always. God forgives sins. God promises to meet my needs. And God is good. When we forget those things, we're prone to draw back. When I, and you get your own list or borrow somebody else's list, but we don't think about the greatness of God. We don't think about who He is. As, as Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, will you also go away? And Peter said, to whom would we go? If you are drawing back... Who are you going to? It is going to be nothing that even begins to compare with our God. And we need to think about the character of God. And then we, we need to remember what God has done in our life. We so soon forget that we were condemned and we were in the hands of a living God and, and ready, as we saw last week, as a, as a spider in a spider's web stretched out over a fire. That's what we were. But Jesus Christ rescued us from eternal hell. If, if, if that was all He did, and not minimizing that, we owe Him our praise and thanks and adoration forever. And we need to go back and not just remember that He saved us, but all the things that He's done, the mercies, we so soon forget the goodness of God in our life. So first of all, we need to remember. And then secondly, we need to repent. <clears throat> we need to go back to the point of disobedience. This is where the Spirit of God prompted me and I did not obey. And I need to correct it. We must become good repenters because we are all skillful sinners. And the only cure for sin is repentance. 
It's not just asking God to forgive me. He said, whoso covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it, that's repentance, he will have mercy. So it is, it's being sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our life and and asking the Spirit, God, show me where I have disobeyed you. I want to go back and make it right. I want to be a good repenter. We, we need to teach our kids how to repent. And, and as I said, because we sin so often, repentance ought to be a part of our life of turning back to God, making corrections, making it right, seeking forgiveness from Him and others that it may have involved. And it God, I confess, I have drawn back from you. And I ask your forgiveness, and I am taking this step of action to draw near to you. It's, it's in the simple, I say simple, the basic things of life that the Spirit of God prompts us that we need to, to make right. And then it is a matter of resting in God. You notice in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. So he's writing to them and he's saying, Don't, don't draw back. This faith you have in this great God will someday have a great reward. Right now you're being insulted and persecuted and because you're a follower of Him, they're taking all your properties and leaving you penniless and, and no place to, for shelter. But He says, don't let go. And again, several weeks ago, we started... In this passage, and it said, A true follower of Christ draws near to God, holds fast his confession of faith, holds fast faith, and he loves the brethren. Those are the three characteristics of genuine faith. And so he's encouraging them here. You've done some great things, but I know you're tempted now. Weary, people have failed you disappointed you, but he says you have need of endurance. There is a reward. And notice he goes on, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So here he is. He's holding forth the promise of God. And what's the promise? For yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So he's saying, I know it's tough, I know it's hard, and I know you're tempted to to draw back and maybe just coast and I can't do this anymore. And God, you're calling me out of my comfort zone and I'm, I'm not going to go. He says, no, don't do that. Because Christ is coming and... 
you need to keep living by faith. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Boy, that's a, that's a sad statement. I don't want to be at the point that the one who died for me has no pleasure in me. That he's ashamed to be called my God, another passage says. So what do I need to do? I need to remember, I need to repent, and I need to rest in the fact and believe the promises of God that God is coming. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And and I just need to have patience and wait and continue to serve Him and do the will of God knowing that I'm planting seeds today and the harvest will be someday. There will be a harvest. Your labor is not in vain in Christ Jesus. So he says, rest in the promises of God. But it doesn't look like it. He said, that's okay. It didn't look like the walls of Jericho would come down either. It didn't look like Moses and the children of Israel could cross the Red Sea. It didn't look like Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. But if God said it, consider it done. That's all it is. And, and, and we have to trust Him. And any time we draw back, God's Spirit is grieved. The Spirit is quenched, and He has no pleasure in that. To have faith that endures trials, we need to remember God's character. We need to remember how He has worked in the past. We need to be doing His will in the present. Repent from not doing it to do the will. And we need to depend on His promises in the future. We have to realize every one of us always have the danger of drawing back. Some will draw back from a knowledge of God and they will draw back unto perdition. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, meaning they came to the knowledge of Christ, they rejected it, And they are condemned. Perdition means abandon, eternal death, utter ruin. There are some that maybe even did a lot of things that look like a Christian. Matthew 7, they did many wonderful works, cast out devils. But they never trusted Christ. They will draw back unto condemnation. There are others who truly know Christ as Savior and have drawn back. They are a child of God. They have drawn back and God has no pleasure in them, meaning He is grieved. And we've talked about it last week. Our life will, will disappear in the, in the Bema seat fire. And He will be saddened. 
And we will suffer loss. So there are some that draw back to perdition, some who draw back to displeasure, but then there are others, and God help us to be that, that have a faith that endures to see the genuine fruit of salvation. It's a tragic thing for a person to have heard the truth Outwardly profess it, be in a Bible-believing church, and yet draw back from the truth. I fear that, that we can be here today and leaning the wrong way. Are we leaning into God? Is it evident through our joy? Is it evident through our obedience to the Spirit? And someday it will be revealed which way we're leaning. Because when the pressure comes, when things really get tough, you don't just automatically become super faith. When things get tough, you'll go the way you're leaning. And he said, let us not be as those that draw back, but let us press toward the mark. God, help us today to see ourselves in the, fa- in the fashion and manner that you see us. And Lord, you see whether we are leaning into you or leaning away. And I pray that your Spirit would bring to mind the areas of our life that we have ignored, neglected, refused, or rejected the leading of your Spirit. Lord, there may be some here today that your Spirit is drawing them to call upon you for the forgiveness of sins. I pray they would yield to your Spirit. And then, Lord, I pray for individuals here today that looking outwardly, perhaps we couldn't tell. But, Lord you know that they've been drawing back. I pray that you would awaken them to that and that today would be a day of repentance. Lord, I pray your Spirit would bring to mind (coughs) the disciplines and duties and responsibilities that we've kind of just let go by the wayside. (coughs) Not that we purposely said, "I'm, I'm... done with that. We just slowly in the process of drawing back lay things aside. Lord, would you awaken us? Would you bring a spiritual awakening that we would pursue you and that we would draw near to you? Lord, 
We're looking to your spirit to do the work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.